0: Welcome to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. On today's episode, Elizabeth and Katie dive into the history of Juneteenth, the federal holiday celebrating the emancipation of enslaved people. They also explore a local holiday, the 8th of May and the 8th of May Emancipation Celebration, and talk with Chuck Yarborough a professor at the Mississippi School of Math and Science who is involved with the project. In the 8th of May Emancipation Celebration, students from the school research and document the history and story of enslaved peoples from the area and their descendants before interpreting their history through song, dance, and spoken word. Stay tuned. Welcome to Stacks and Stories. My name is Katie Gill. Normally I'm in the editing chair for the podcast, but today I am here with Elizabeth from the reference department. Hey there, Elizabeth. Hi, Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Juneteenth. Now, I know we have a couple of international listeners. Shout out to our two regular listeners in Germany and our one regular listener in Belgium. Hello! Hello! So, Elizabeth, would you mind giving us a brief overview about what Juneteenth is, some fun facts about the history of the holiday, anything that can help out our foreign listeners and our American listeners who might not be as up-to-date on their history as they would like? So this, when they asked me to do this podcast episode, I took a deep dive into history because it has been over 30 years since I've taken a history class. And my Mississippi history class was even longer ago than that. I'm, I'm learning right along with y'all. So I do wanna mention that first, I was really hesitant about doing this, this episode because um, I'm white and um, I was born here in Mississippi. I have lived in this state most of my life and this is, I thought, a black holiday, So, which it is, but um, I've come to realize how important this holiday is for our country. It's naming um, because it's actually Juneteenth National Independence Day it's adding to the list of federal holidays, which is a huge deal. It's just, it's long overdue. And I really hope that white Americans will use this day as an opportunity to confront our racist heritage, um, to honor this enslaved people who've helped build our country and um, to celebrate the joy of their freedom day, which is Juneteenth. Back to Juneteenth itself I have your basic knowledge you know Columbus discovered America in 1492 and the slaves were there from nearly the beginning I thought and then um, you know the Civil War happened and the slaves were free and then came the civil rights era and then you went on a research binge and everything about that narrative (laughs) changed (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's absurd, and like I said, my schooling was 30 years ago, so I'm hoping that it's changed somewhat, watching the news. um, As you do, I have discovered that that's probably not so true, but... um, So, here you go, y'all. Here's the quick and dirty cliff notes. So, in the 1500s, Spain brought the first enslaved Africans to the Americas. They actually brought the first ones to what would be America um, in Florida and Georgia. A lot of people lately know the date of 1619, which was the first time that enslaved Africans were brought to the British colonies, which, you know, as white Americans, what we tend to think of the beginning of America. So these people were captured from a slave ship and brought to Virginia and sold to the governor of Virginia. Um, And that, it just escalated from there. So in 1790, when we had our first census of the United States, there were about 700,000 enslaved people. So in 1860, which is only 70 years later, there were nearly 4 million people who were enslaved in the United States. Jeez Louise. That, yeah. It's so many. And what's even more fascinating is that there was an act in um, 1807 which prohibited the importation of slaves. So the majority of people who were enslaved in America, they were born here. They did not come over on the ships. The Middle Passage was horrific. Um, Millions of people died, but slavery itself was an awful, awful institution that also disrupted so many lives. So when the Civil War started, there's these 4 million people who are living in slavery. Mississippi had uh, about 800,000 people, like the total population. 55% of those people were enslaved people. So the black enslaved people outnumbered the white people in Mississippi at the beginning of the Civil War, which I had, I, I didn't know, and I'd never thought about it. And for context, the early Civil War is the 1860s-ish. I think it actually started in 1860. So that's right at that 4 million number you mentioned earlier. Right, the 1860 and then um, Lincoln was elected in 1860 and South Carolina seceded. They were the first ones in 1860. So in January of 1861, Mississippi and the legislature, they voted that they wanted to secede, but that wasn't enough. They were like, hold up, we've got this in the law, but we wanna make sure everyone knows exactly how we feel about things. And so they issued something called a declaration of the immediate causes which induce and justify the secession of the state of Mississippi from the federal union. So, would you like to know what the causes were? I would love to know what the causes were because I know what the general narrative says that the causes were, but I have a sneaky suspicion that the actual causes might be a bit different than the general narrative that people believe and push about this thing. So, basically, they wanted to be able to keep their enslaved people. They said from the beginning... Oh, they had been promised that people would be able to be enslaved there, and the United States went back on their word, and they kept going back on their word, saying that they could not enslave more people. And that's what the whole states' rights argument is. It's states' rights, but it's states' rights to own slaves, to own other people. Y'all remember that when you come across someone who tries to shake your understanding of why the Civil War happened. It happened because of slavery. It, end of story. It period. period. Definitely slavery. 100%. So during the Civil War in 1862, Lincoln said, my paramount object is to save the Union and not either to save or destroy slavery. If I could save the Union without freeing one slave, I would do it. So still, the national narrative there was not so much concern about all of these enslaved peoples, but it was more about the nation and our rights to do what we wanted to do. So by that was August. So in September, Lincoln's like, hey, guys, you know, I said that stuff, and... Um, if you don't get into line and like return to the union, like I kind of asked you to do, I'm going to say that all of your slaves are free, and that was the warning that the South got um, about the Emancipation Proclamation. We are paraphrasing Abraham Lincoln very loosely with that quotation. <laughs> Fine, he didn't say he didn't hey guys. Say, hey, guys. <laughs> so. Um, The Emancipation Proclamation went into effect uh, January 1st, 1863, and here's a fun fact. A lot of people celebrated January 1st as an Emancipation Day, as a day of jubilee for years and years. Frederick Douglass was a big proponent of it because it was the Emancipation Day. Yeah, if there's one thing that you're going to take away from this episode, it's that there are a lot of dates and a <laughs> lot of years. And even if we have this one big federally recognized holiday, there are still lots of smaller holidays. There, there are lots of smaller da- days, but I think what I'm eventually coming to, but I'll go ahead and mention it here, is that I think that's the beauty of Juneteenth. It is the the biggest it is the last one to come into effect they were the last people to learn that hey you are free you are no longer bound to be by this person who has nothing to do with you so january 1st big day and then at the end of the civil war obviously when lee surrendered to the northern forces um, at appomattox That was when a lot of people in the far southeastern United States um, came back into the fold of the United States and the enslaved people became free. So after that, when you come further west and you're going like towards Alabama and Mississippi, those people didn't find out. So Appomattox was in April beginning of April. And that's in like Virginia, just getting our our geography straight, because we are going to do a bit of geography. (laughs) A little tiny U.S. geography. Sorry, Belgians. The far eastern half, Florida, Georgia, um, the Carolinas, Virginia, those were all in there. Um, Actually, Florida wasn't. Sorry. (laughs) Because Um, Florida, actually, they learned about their emancipation on May 20th. Well, in Mississippi and western Alabama, on May 4th, 1865, Zachary Taylor, who was a president, his son, um, Richard Taylor, he surrendered to U.S. General Edward Canby. This was the last force um, east of the Mississippi to surrender. So, you know, Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas, Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma, Uh, they're all west of the Mississippi. But this was the biggest one east of the Mississippi. And so people found out at different times that they were free. And in eastern Mississippi, in large portions of it, The 8th of May was a very important event where that was the day that they learned that they were free. And so, piggybacking off of that 8th of May, you talked recently with Chuck Yarborough, who works with the 8th of May Emancipation Project. And uh, let's play a little clip from that interview right now because Chuck knows more about this than we do.
1: The story here in Columbus is that from 1866, um, we know from the diary of one of the Freedmen's Bureau school teachers, a guy named Cyrus Green from Indiana, he writes in his diary on May 8, 1866, that today is a day long to be remembered by local members of what he called the African race. A year ago today, Union troops arrived in Columbus announcing their freedom. Now, in reality, whether or not there was a surrender, uh, all of that becomes a controversy here. A uh, half a century later, in the early 20th century, what happens is members of the white community begin to question, well, why why is the 8th of May being celebrated? And there's really kind of this interesting discourse in local newspapers uh, by some old old member of the Confederacy who's still alive, and he's kind of saying, well, that's not the day the Union. Or, you know, defeated us, That's not the day confederate surrendered for so the black community is wrong is basically what he's saying. Um, And not so many words necessarily, but it is clearly implied. So we're going by the fact that in the 1880s, there's a celebration of Emancipation Day on the 8th of May happening in Aberdeen, Mississippi, uh, just about 25 miles north of us. And also we know from that diary and from early 20th century accounts in the African-American community also reported in the paper that um, the local black community is celebrating the 8th of May as their emancipation day because that's the day they believe in 1865 union troops arrived here. It's not so much the news of emancipation. I think it it is the reality of the possibility of emancipation. While the Emancipation Proclamation had gone into effect in theory on January 1st, 1863, freedom didn't arrive until the federal presence arrived. And here in Columbus, it appears to have been on May 8th, 1865. So when freedom arrived here with those Union troops, it was cause for celebration in a major slave holding area of the South on the edge of the Black Prairie and um, and consequently, you know, what happens is then for the next century essentially, the local black community and, and regional black community celebrated with picnic song, you know, ball games, dances, all those kinds of celebrations you would expect. Well, the 8th of May is a, you know, one of the characteristics of the African-American experience historically is that these are people. Who are clearly victims of not just slavery, the, but then ensuing injustices. But they're not defined by that victimhood. And, and the local story that my students uncover and they celebrate annually in the 8th of May Emancipation Celebration Project and then public performance is really the story of local people who are living in a difficult time under difficult, unfair, to put it mildly, circumstances And yet they are striving every day to live up to the potential and the hopefulness of humanity. You know, they're trying to make a better community for themselves and for their families with a a belief that that will make a difference moving forward. And ultimately, I think it does. You know, the students recognize that they're standing on the shoulders of these people a century ago, that they're, they're researching and then portraying. But for the 8th of May project, I've done a lot of local history research for the African-American experience, and consequently, I'm familiar with some of the names, and we're picking people who are buried out there who are leaders or members of their families to get out the stories or sometimes collections of people. So, for example, a couple of years ago, I had three, two students researching three local black preachers. Uh, I've had World War I veteran groups kind of researched. One was a pair that actually went overseas one year, and another year it was three that were enlisted here and stayed in battalion, service battalion kind of positions in the U.S. So it's that kind of thing. Yeah, You know, know, the benefit of of researching history and then sharing it with the community is really connected to um, a belief I have and a whole lot of other people have, I would say, but that we are all ultimately empowered when we have a more complete understanding of our story, whether it's our individual story and history, our community story, history, or our nation's story and history. For too long, significant parts of our story and the contributions made by Americans, or in this case, Mississippians, have just not been shared, not been told, and our view of the past is so incomplete that it disempowers us to make informed decisions about our present and future. And to me, that's one of the great benefits of programs like the 8th of May Emancipation Celebration uh, Project, but it's also one of the benefits of celebrating Juneteenth and knowing a more complete national story. Similar, um, it, it, you know, the significance of those dates is similar, of course, but Juneteenth on the national level is more significant because it is the last emancipation event or date in the nation's story, which the 8th of May cannot claim.
0: That project is just so exciting. I love how he works with students to learn the history of their place and then connects it to make them stronger citizens and proud of their history. But Going back to what we were saying before, yeah, the eighth of May doesn't have the word June in it. And this it, episode is titled Juneteenth. It is all Juneteenth. <laughs> so, in June of eighteen sixty-five, Gordon Granger, Union general, made it to Galveston in Texas. In Texas, um, and he did, he read a uh, general proclamation three. Uh, saying a general order number three, um, proclaiming freedom for enslaved people in Texas. And that was the last state to still have institutional slavery. And so it was just a huge celebration. Um, people immediately began to celebrate. So uh, I, I read, um, in the book Days of Jubilee by the McKissicks. One formerly enslaved person said, the end of the war, it just came like that. Like you snap your fingers. And how did we know it? Hallelujah broke out. Folks were singing and shouting all over. Which just, it gives me goosebumps now. I think that we don't give enough thought to what it must have been like to have been enslaved by someone all your life and then to suddenly be free. Um, I do think it's odd that in the order, it said that these enslaved people were supposed to, well, the now formerly enslaved people were supposed to stay with their former masters and start receiving pay. That's very idealistic. Uh, Right, right. Um, I don't know what they thought would happen, and I'm sure that some people did that, but I think of a, a large amount of people, they went off looking for their families that they had been separated from, or they just left, so that they wouldn't have to be with those people who had enslaved them and treated them like garbage, so. So then, fast forward uh, 200-odd years, and we are at, present day and Juneteenth is now becoming Well, obviously it was still is still a very big holiday for like the black community from then until now but now it is starting to get a bit more federal recognition and a bit more recognition from the top brass if the top brass is the United States government <laughs> so um Joe Biden, he signed the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act into law June 17th, 2021. So at the ceremony where he signed the bill, he said, great nations don't ignore their most painful moments. They don't ignore those moments in the past, they embrace them. Great nations don't walk away. We come to terms with the mistakes that we've made. And in remembering those moments, we begin to heal and grow stronger. That's a good quote. It's a a really good quote. And I'm gonna share one more um, from Elena Morgan, who is a history professor at the University of Southern California she said that it is incumbent on our representatives to push this idea of the commemoration because it really stands for the freedom of all Americans. What a holiday says is that this is something that we care about as a people and as a nation and we want to take a moment to stop and have a day of reflection, which I think is really what Juneteenth is. It is a day of it's a unique day in that it's both a day of celebration and a day of reflection. You know, most of our days are either one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it is it is very much a day of both. Every year, Chuck's students at the Mississippi School for Mathematics and Science they do their projects. And they learn about these people from the past who are real people um, and they research their lives and learn more about them. So these are people who in Mississippi at the time of emancipation were either um, given their freedom or who weren't born yet, who were born to parents who had been enslaved um, and became pillars of their community um, in Mississippi. And so I like to think that there are these same types of people all over the South, in Texas, in Florida. And so I'd like to hear, I'd like you to listen to this recitation given by one of his students um, at their 2020 8th of May celebration.
1: Next, we're going to hear from Darian Bowles. Darian is from Bahalia.
2: Nice job. Good afternoon, good people of Mississippi. Although my experience to have taught me that the people of Mississippi aren't always so good, at least not where myself and my people are concerned. Now, I suspect most of you may know me, I am Mississippi State Senator Robert Gleed, a notable business owner and political leader in Columbus Lyons County after freedom came in 1865. In fact, I was the organizer and featured speaker at the very first Ace of May celebration in 1866. Now, of course, I wasn't always so distinguished and powerful. Like the vast majority of my people, I was enslaved before and during the Civil War. At the age of 17, I was living in the grips of slavery in Virginia. And the only reason you know me as the accomplished man I am today is because I took my destiny into my own hands. And like so many others like me, who understood that the Civil War was a freedom struggle, I escaped. And unfortunately, I was captured right outside of Columbus. And since I refused to acknowledge that any slaveholder owns me, Mississippi laws of 1863 required that I be sold back into slavery. I was dragged to auction, and sold to a man by the name of John Miller, whom I worked for, until federal troops arrived and set me and the vast majority of this county free. And once free, I immediately set to work on starting my own business and helping throughout my community. In 1867, the military governor appointed me to the Columbus City Council. Now, I was the first, and for a while, only African American holding such a high position at that time. And after that, in 1870, I was elected to the Mississippi State Senate. And I remain the only black man to represent all of Lowndes County in the Mississippi Senate. Now, while my time on this earth ended over a century ago, seeing all of you here tells me I didn't struggle for nothing. You know, I used to tell my children that we all stand on the shoulders of someone who came before us. We had our setbacks as a people and as a country in my day, but it's clear that progress has been made. And I like to think that you folks can reach higher Even when times are tough, because those many years ago, I stood tall and offered my shoulders for you to stand on, and I hope that you can do the same for those to come after you.
0: And so this work with the 8th of May Emancipation Project, that's something that uh, Chuck Yarbrough has been doing for a while. So... He came to Mississippi in the 90s, I think he said. Uh, He started working at the school in the 90s and he wanted to do something then, but he said that there just weren't enough resources for them to use. And so fast forward several years and I believe someone really wanted to do a project that was about someone who was from the black community in Columbus, where the science, math and science school is. It was such a huge success that they started to do it every year. And Columbus has actually had, um, they had a May 8th celebration for years and years, but then as people got older, and the people who had been enslaved started to die and then their children started to die, it began to fade from memory. And so Juneteenth started to replace it as a celebration. And so Columbus has actually had a Juneteenth celebration since 1996. So around the same time they started doing, well, same time that, the May 8th celebrations came to the came to Chuck's attention. Right, thank you. You're welcome. And there um, there are celebrations planned all over Mississippi. There is going to be an expo at New Horizon Church here in Jackson. They are going to have, I think this is kind of neat, a Jumping the Broom event, and they're inviting 100 people to get married at the church in sort of a large Jump the Broom ceremony. I know! For future listeners who might be listening to the podcast months in the future... Um, we're talking about events that will be happening. are we talking about events that will be happening like in june of 22. june or? of 22 that there are there are all sorts of events that are happening that are going on and i don't remember seeing this many events planned in previous years and i think that this is going to be a huge thing not only locally but nationally. I think we're going to start seeing more events. And I think that we really need to to take part in ways that are um... supportive but not like appropriative. Like yes, I am also a white, white girl, converse like laying that on the table. And it's <laughs> like we could help celebrate the holiday, but the spotlight ain't on us. Right, so we definitely don't want to try to take over or plan or anything, but be supportive and raise up and honor those voices that you know about and and share what's going on. These sort of vids will always need people who could help set up chairs. Oh, and pick up trash. <laughs> I will be your pa- trash up, picker-upper. I'll set up chairs. <laughs> There's going to be an event at Smith Park. I saw events planned for Oxford, Coahoma County, Lowndes County, down on the coast, up in the Delta. So future listeners, keep all this in mind because if there are events planned in 22, fingers crossed, assuming the world doesn't end, there might be still those events and even more events for 23 and other years down the road. That's right. There's also, if, you're, if you'd like to learn more about Juneteenth and, and this freedom holiday, there are some great resources out there. Um, the Mississippi Library Association and their last newsletter, um, they published some information about a grad student named Alicia Lindsey and her mentor, Joyce Shaw, Um, They have created some curated lists of books with some links that you can go to. One's for um, children and teens, one's for adults. And we will make sure that those links are in the show notes so that once you're done listening to the podcast, you can go over and click on them and check them out yourself. That's right. And just keep your eye out um, for future events. Have I said enough about Juneteenth? because for me, Juneteenth is so much about its history and how it came to be, why it was necessary? Yeah, I think that I think that we've done a good job balancing because, We've got our Belgian listeners who (laughs) were probably tuning into this podcast going, what is this American thing? I don't know anything about it. So you do have to be able to know the history in order to be able to know why we are celebrating this holiday and the importance of celebrating this holiday. So it was really lovely having you on to talk about Juneteenth, Elizabeth. I I've seen you doing so much research dives and looking at so many websites and I have bothered you multiple times while you're in the middle of the research dive. So I know you put a lot of thought and care and respect into making sure that you got all the information and were able to tell the s- story of the holiday as best you can. So thank you for chatting with us about it. Oh thank you. And- Y'all have a happy Juneteenth. Yes. Thank you for listening to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time, and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.